0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by. And without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. We are live. Another episode of the Gifted Performance podcast. He's on my left. Again, I know I said this at the beginning of every single podcast. When it actually records, it just puts people in random places. So... When you see it on YouTube and you're always like, oh, Ryan's always the big one, don't think it's because I'm vain and I'm trying to make myself the big one. I promise that Skype just randomly chooses. Am I the most handsome? Absolutely. Do I deserve to be the biggest? 100%. But still, I would much rather give the spotlight to our guests today. Nick Womble, someone that graduated from UCF with me, I'll always remember. He saved me a spot in line at graduation because I was super late. He said, "Yo, just jump the line right here," and I was like, "Sweet, Nick, how are you?"
1: Good man, appreciate you
0: having me on. And yeah, again, to my left, maybe right, top, who knows? Who cares? Is Mr. Thomas Tombot Butler? Tom, how you doing today? Feeling good today?
2: Doing
0: all right. Shirt sure looks good. <laughs> Uh we just say full yeah, disclosure, Nick missed the tie-dye memo, but there will be a part two Dude, and there will be a dye. It is tie-dye. Wow, yo, uh Barely. when Jimble hears this, she's gonna be she's gonna be very upset with you. I just, it's, I a just it's a gray tie dye. And okay. shameless plug, you can get these very nice dark gray tie-dye, <laughs> men's extra large. I think we have like one left people really uh, bought us out quick. I'm not but
2: the large though, that's for sure.
0: Back to actually the large are the, the large might fit you. I don't know. You're I you're fit you're a, large. I can fit a large. little bit. Oof. <laughs> please, please stop. You're scaring away the viewers all, right, all, right, all, right. all six of them. Um, so Nick is here today to talk about his experience with athlete development, athletic development. He has a Very, very impressive resume when it comes to working with athletes of all levels. We're talking about um, young high school athletes, high school prodigies, college stars, people making their way into professional ranks and those who are also currently professional athletes. Nick. I want to give you a chance to kind of give the people an introduction on yourself education certifications where you've worked what you've competed in your um your interests your endeavors all that
1: um yeah well that's a lot so it is yeah I guess we could start from like young ages um I like always was just into like lifting weights and training whether it was whether it was even in a gym or not I was the guy that was like climbing trees all the time and just like jumping around and just monkeying around pretty much even to this day but i think that like led into my like love of just training the body and wanting to like master the body um i also was never really tall so like from a young age i was like well i'm not growing so i'm gonna get swole instead and i'm gonna make up for that um so that's kind of where the, the love of the gym just came and everything just built off of that from a young age just constantly trying to just better my body bigger myself get, get bigger faster stronger whatever that was and honestly throughout the whole process of it I learned the wrong way to do the right way and honestly like I would never like now knowing what I know now I wouldn't go back and be like I want to know what I know now because I wouldn't have figured all this out if I didn't just explore it myself I mean everything I did in high school wrong okay well now I know like don't do that again okay in college you're getting knowledge you're going to school you're getting all these um, you know, degrees and certification, you're like, okay, I, I know stuff. And then you get stuck on that. And you're like, you know what, maybe this isn't all it either. And like, just constantly trying to find like, okay, well, if I'm doing this, but I'm, I'm getting hurt here, like I'm missing something here. So continue to just like, never think like, you know, everything and just constantly explore the body. And I think I'm going to be doing this for the next 50 years, just constantly be like, man, like what I did 10 years ago is not smart. Like, okay, we can do this better. Um, and just if we're not doing that, then we're probably going backwards. And in 10 years, you're getting some sort of surgery here, and then I mean, the one we the moment you get that it's just like a, a battle you're just fighting with yourself to even get back into like constant training. and Consistency is going to be that like number one key anyway. So, for me, like before even the schooling and any of that, I just like I was just constantly on a battle of just like learning the body and, and school. Um, well, you know, the whole UCF thing, like undergrad, we did our masters. Were we in undergrad and masters together? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So we might have, like, wrote the whole thing out at the same time. Um, I was there, what, 11 to 16, I think. And um, that was when, like, the whole thing switched, though, for me. Before, it was, like, training just to train the body. I didn't know any – I didn't know there was science to training. And, and like just i thought it was just you pick things up and you put them down so getting to like ucf for the first time i was just like mind blown to like what training really is and that there was professions and i didn't know you could train people like for a living so like i always had the dream of owning a gym so which is funny because i own a gym now but like it's not what i envisioned like i thought i was going to own like an la fitness type gym like just a gym like i just wanted to have a gym when i was like a high school kid but then like i got to ucf and i'm like well you can get like paid to train people like like athletes in, in the military, I actually wanted to do the military first. Um, that was like the first thing that interests me in in sport performance. I was like, okay, you can train the military. Like, that's pretty cool. What, I mean, what better people to work with and like a more rewarding job than to train the military? So that was like the, the number one goal for a while was to train military. And then um, I got linked up with UCF Athletics um, when I needed to do my practicum. Um, so for undergrad, I, I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, I don't remember when it was, actually. I just decided I needed an internship of some sort. I was like, all right, athlete sounds cool. Um, Had a contact into getting with Coach Ellis, who we talked about. So I reached out to him. Um, He's like, yeah, sure, come by. So just like that, I was starting up. And that was like my first taste into the collegiate realm, which is the realm I like tried to stay in for the longest time period. Um, I was pursuing that for pretty much from like 2016 till 2020. Um, And that's just a field that, I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be improved upon. Now that I'm been through it, um, I think it gets this like, I think you get this look that you're like these big prestigious schools with these incredible weight rooms and these insane staffs and all this stuff. But I feel like a lot of more stuff, like we've talked about in the old, just kind of beat you down, break your body, test your will, and, and, and just kind of just. I mean, it's old school. It's really what it is. And now some schools are really jumping the gun. They're getting like sports science labs and they're getting all into this, you know, the science side of it and they're testing everything and they're testing this and they're testing that. Um, and I think it's like taking athletics to another level. We're seeing people coming out of college doing stuff that's just like unheard of or even younger than that. Like high school kids coming out, just doing insane things. And you're just like, how is this even possible? It's like the training just getting better. And, and as the training continues to get better, I'm going to, I honestly like, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. And I'm saying this on, on like an actual recording, but like, I think there's going to be a time when we think like a three or four or five foot vertical is like crazy, but we're going to start seeing like six, seven and eight foot verticals. I think the body is literally physically capable of that, but we do not know how to access it. We don't know how to train it. We don't know how to get to it yet. But I think the body like has that power and that energy stored in it. It just needs to be accessed. And I think like, I always think of like a car with a governor and how like it'll hold you back I think our brain is that governor and I think that as long as we can continue to like somehow manipulate that throughout years and years who knows how this is going to be done but like I feel like the body could be manipulated in such ways that you can continue just the, the levels of increase should never stop we always should just be able to continue progressively overload our body to a point where I mean there is an endpoint, but I don't know if we know what that endpoint truly is yet and, and I think that as long as we just like Keep pushing the, the the brain's limits. Who knows, like, what the body is truly capable of? That was a crazy tangent. But yeah, the body, I think, again, we're having like eight foot. I'm going to have a first eight foot vertical. Just wait. wait. <laughs> when the attorneys stop hitting me, we're going to get insane here in a little bit. But
0: No, I think that's an interesting point It's because you hear people all the time talk about athletic development and how it's like approaching that asymptote. Like, yes, athletes are improving, but the magnitude of their improvement just isn't what it used to be. Like, we're getting this influx of talent into sport, and we're seeing these freak outliers, but they're getting fewer and further between. But it sounds like you've got a different opinion of that. Thomas, do you have anything to say there?
2: I wonder if – you know, obviously, it's, it's a matter of training, and you know, we see the the really rapid development. You know, we talked on another podcast about like the raw powerlifting, and and how the uh, the records just really exploded over the past like five or six years, and uh, and so that was due to like influx of new athletes. But then I, I think that one place that the West especially has been really far behind the rest of the world is with the long-term athletic development model. And so, cause you know, we, we don't put people in like special sports camps to, you know, at, at five or six years old, start developing their, for careers in athletics. We, we try to let stuff happen sort of organically. And, um, and those long-term athletic development models aren't really explored here. And uh, you know, we, we've got, 340 million people in this country so we, we've got like, the fifth largest population on earth we, we've got a, a base of people to which you know we can we can produce a fair amount of really spectacular athletic you know naturally athletic people uh, but we just haven't really gotten lined up with the the lifetime of development that it takes to get to those those yeah. outer yeah. limits of, of what people are capable of um, and you look at like what the Chinese, the, the, uh, Koreans are doing in weightlifting right now and just absolutely insane things on a regular basis. And, uh, it's because those guys and, and girls are, uh, you know, they start training for that. They're selected at like four years old and, and they're in the path. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we'll continue to see that as, uh, the sports science sort of trickles down to the, the high school and, and uh, and club and and uh, middle school level and uh, you see in like texas just for for instance with uh football in texas a lot of the uh the uh, developmental programs the the peewee and pop warner and middle school and high school programs in an area are all sort of integrated they share a common philosophy and so you know even if the sports science methodologies are maybe not the the tightest and, and most productive uh, practices. Uh, you know, you have kids getting into high school when they've been playing in the same offensive or defensive system for 10 years. And so you've got 10th graders that are, are playing at a level, you know, they started playing flag football when they were four or five years old, running the same plays that they were running in peewee and middle and high school. So by the time they get to being varsity high school players, they've got as much football experience as, you know, a guy who's like a second or third year pro in other parts of the country. That's yeah, great. So, you know, and, and that's why, you know, uh, parts of California and Florida and Texas are just so absolutely dominant in high school football. And it's starting to happen in Georgia and the Atlanta area, too. Uh, it, it's just it's the, uh, the length of developmental arc. You've got so many years before the body doesn't do it anymore. And so the earlier you start, you know, the higher that peak can be.
0: Uh, and, I, and I was it's somewhat of a <laughs> thought experiment for me and it's part of or it's a big part of what Nick does in terms of like his philosophy of like keeping athletes healthy healthy like keeping them on the field a lot of that preventative stuff that's what that's going to keep them on the field and performing. It's always been a thought experiment of mine to say like, what if, because there's a lot of kids that are getting hurt as they come up in training just because of how much training they're doing year round and how little variety they're doing. So if we take a more varied approach throughout the year and keep these kids healthier, are we going to see a a big increase in talent because they're actually able to spend the entire year training?
1: Yep. Yep. That's like my biggest argument to it is like, I, again, like, we see freak athletes, but, like, has one person ever just gone through, like, adolescence and pubescent years and all that stuff and just trained the perfect way? Like, what could that person physically do? Who knows? Because, like, I don't think anyone's done it yet. And so as we continue to slowly, like, train better and better and better and get these kids starting at the right times and not going through those years of, like, mistakes that we had to go through to figure out the wrong way, like, what is possible for these kids? Who knows? Like, we're going to start seeing – you know, we're seeing already like 18 year olds and 17 year olds touching up as much as 100 miles per hour pitching. It's like, that's insane. Like, this guy is still like child, realistically, in the physical capabilities of his body. Like, he's not genetically even close to his prime yet. He's he's still growing. He's still understanding his body. Like, what is that guy going to do- look like when he's 28 if he's throwing 100 already? It's like, if, <laughs> if, 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 yeah, if, if <laughs> it doesn't get hurt. Like that's the the key factor. Can he train from eighteen to twenty eight without having a year off of like something? Like what could be possibly? I mean that guy's gonna be throwing. I, I joke around all the time. Like I'm like, I have a guy that's gonna throw hundred and twenty. He's like yeah. it's not he's like it's not possible. And I was like, yeah, well, until you do it, it's not possible. He's like, okay, like thinks I'm kidding. But it's like they said the same thing about people running a sub four minute mile, and then one guy does. They literally said your heart would explode, and then the guy does it, and then everywhere. People are just popping out sub four minute miles. You just got to know you can do it. Now, again, like maybe he never touches 120, but if he starts believing, like, okay, like I just, if I don't mess up for the next eight years and I keep training right and I keep this and that, like I'm going to throw 120. Like, okay, maybe he hits 112. Well, that's still unheard of. And and again, I just think that our body is capable of more if we can accumulate more years of don't get hurt. (laughs) Like, just again, just do a little bit every year. And over eight years, that little bit has become a lot. And it's really built off itself. And it's just, we got to have that, again, that long-term approach. I'm not necessarily saying you need to be in one sport from a young age and master that sport. Like, I think you need to do tons of sports. I think the more sports you can do, the better. And I'm not even talking real sports. I'm talking, like, go surf, go skateboard, go rock climb, go, like, other, like, human body sports. Like, I think parkour is insane. Like, weirdly, gymnastics-type stuff. Like, master the body. And then when you go play a sport, it's like... The sport's the easy part. The human body is the hard part. So once you got that mastered, you're, going to, you're just p- picking a couple specific skills, and you're just getting to master them. So now you're just throwing a ball over and over and over again, and you just mastered it because your body's mastered it. And then that's, that's where, again, like, who knows what's going to happen when we can accumulate eight years like that. I think, again, 120 or 110 or whatever it may be is, is physically possible if we can get 10 good years built up on it. So that's the, that's the trial and error from here on out. I mean, it's just a lot of it is trial and error. It's like you go and you explore a little bit, you play around something, you know, that wasn't it. Let's uh, go back to the drawing board. All right, let's play with this. What, what do you, where do you feel, feel weak at? You know, maybe it's a transfer of force. Maybe it's, you know, you have all this power in your hips, but your wrist is super weak. And you're trying to hold a ball down here and, and you, you got all this force coming in and, and power is being lost in this little ripple effect. that You don't even notice is happening, but it's happening because there's, there's just no transfer from the wrist to the ball now. So now what looks like a 96-mile-an-hour pitch should have been 104 if it just would have just held, held better and transferred better. And so we're looking at the thing like, well, you need more hip power. You need more of this. You need more separation here. And it could be as small as, like, well, you just need to get a little stronger wrist. And all of a sudden there's, like, four more velo right there. And, and, again, I think people are looking so big, and I think it's, like, way smaller than that. Like, break it down to the deepest little parts of the body. What is the weakest link? What is the smallest little thing that's going to fail and cause the whole thing to cr- kind of crumble? Right. Because if again, all we're doing is movement is like transfer of force, like in sprinting, whatever it is, it's force into the floor, that floor, floor is going to push back into you one way or another. And hopefully you can handle that force and it can propel you to the directions that you're creating, whether it's your from your ankle, your knee or your hip, whatever it may be, but you're just trying to put your body in positions to do the work for you almost. And so I'm starting to learn over the, again, the last like even six months, really like less is more like the less I can put on my body, but put my body in also weird positions to create the force itself, the better I'm going to be off than if I just had to load up, you know, 500 pounds to get the stimulus. I want to be able to create that stimulus without 500 pounds. And like, how can I, how can, how can, I teach my body to to work as if I had 500 pounds on me, but I don't have 500 pounds on me. And again, that's where I like I'm continually thinking the brain is the key factor to like this, this limit of like, this is all I'm going to let you push. This is all I think you're capable of. And, and so I think, um, how can I tap into the brain? And you may like, okay, what would you think is the the best way to like, just like tell your brain to start doing more would be isometrics. And so I'm going to start dabbling. And again, this is like theory right now, but I'm dabbling in more isometric work at specific joint angles to, to like, okay, well, this is where I'm weakest in my, you know, let's say my vertical. I just really feel like my like terminal knee extension is really weak. Well, like okay i need to max out my terminal knee extension we're typically training stuff like that in a step down or you know a tke or something very like rehabby right now I-, I love the rehab purpose of it and-, and that volume and just like what it's doing for the knee itself but like how strong can i be at that terminal knee extension as well because i feel like the stronger where we are at the our end ranges the better our body's going to be like you know what that was where he was weakest. He's a lot stronger. Okay, muscles, you can you can contract a little more now. Let's train you a little harder now. Like you have you've advanced to the next level and you can train that level now. Um, yeah, this is like you're getting me on some crazy theories right now. You're like I'm I'm just spitting them out right now. But yeah, that's like that's how my training has has been evolving. Like that thought process. Um, now, granted, don't get away from strength training. I'm all about the the big lifts, you know.
0: No, i I think it's a good tangent, and I think it I think it contrasts well with kind of the standard issue strength conditioning training that you see at the collegiate level that says like if athlete A is stronger and exercises a, B, and C, they will then be stronger on the field. They can take that strength that they gained. They went from, you know, a 550 pound back squat to a 600 pound back squat. Now you're going to be a better running back because of that. But they're ignoring some of the individualized stuff that you're talking about. Isometric strength, at specific joint angles, uh, laxity in certain joints that, that may be hindering performance on the field. and, do you think that's an issue with with modern SNC methods is that we're so focused on numbers and kind of performance in the gym that we forget about performance on the field and, and maybe longevity of the athletes?
1: Yeah, 100 percent. That's like I think the collegiate realm and above is honestly doing the right things. And their mind, they're not they're not inadvertently trying. I'm trying to mess you up like athlete. They're doing everything they can to make you a better athlete and what they believe. Again, I just think that they're missing something because they're chasing these numbers. And a lot of it comes back to a political thing. Like, if you're not performing in the weight room and your athletes aren't performing in the weight room and you don't have a metric to show somebody, they're going to fire you. So there's, like, this fire under them, like, well, I have to produce something. So I need to be maxing these guys out. I need to be testing them, like, whatever it is, because I need to be showing results. Because if I'm not, then I'm not doing my job. And I think sometimes there's, like you know, six months of training to a year of training where you like you look like you're going backwards for a little bit, but there's changes happening, and there's development happening, and the human body is complicated. You don't just master something in, in, a, in a semester. Like, we're trying to master the most complicated thing on the planet, the human body. It's like, I try to, like, use the example of, like, learning a new language. Like, you don't just jump in there speaking sentences and jumping into a country and you're just flowing. Like you're learning like the basic foundations of the language first, the pronouns, the all those little gra- grammatical things, and then you're piecing things together. And over years you're you can now speak a new language. Like that's the body and a skill too. Like a front squat is, is that. Take four years to master the front squat. Right? Let's start with just like the basic hinge or like the front rack hold or whatever it may be and learning how to sit in the midfoot and just learning the ins and outs of a squat. And then okay, maybe the next year you're developing whatever it may be, but you're mastering a skill. And I think we go into a gym being like, okay, well, I need that 500 squat to go to 600 or else I didn't get that guy better. Well, what if I made that guy lose 10 pounds of fat that he didn't need on him that was weighing him down, and I added five pounds of muscle, now he looks like he lost five pounds. You're like, well, he's smaller. He needs to be bigger. He's a linebacker, okay, but he's also running – two tenths of a second faster on his 40 and he's got four inches on his vertical and it's like he's playing at a better weight now he's a better athlete now and i think sometimes we're even chasing like physical numbers like well this guy needs to weigh this much it's like maybe to a point okay i don't need a 180 pound linebacker in the nfl but you know when you're fighting well he needs to be 225 because he's 215 right now like and i'm gonna take the better moving athlete i'm gonna take the guy that's gonna get to the ball quicker or he's gonna make that play because he's more explosive now And sometimes we're chasing factors of like, oh, I need my front squat to go up. It's like, I can make your vertical go up without your front squat going up. I can increase your reach, right? I can increase how far you can extend over your head now. You don't have to jump higher to touch higher, right? We're chasing a, people chase a number in in sports as like the vertical. It's like, that's important. But I care about how high you can get. If you've once touched nine, but now you're touching nine, six, that tells me your vertical went up six inches. Right. Maybe your vertical went up two inches of that and four inches of it was opening up like your QL and allowing you to get a greater reach and extending your length and your lat. And, and, and you can now just reach overhead two extra inches as well. So like and on top of let's say I increase your shoulder extension. and So now you have more power in your arm swing and you're, and you're getting more vertical power from arm swing versus from leg power. So there's just so many other factors that are going to make you a better athlete. And people, I think, just have got stuck in the old ways of like, OK, squat for lower body power if you want to jump higher. There's a lot of other ways I can get you to jump higher without making you squat heavier. Um, I think I'm just trying to find s- different ways to do that without putting stress on the body. Again, it's like maybe the squat's going to make the vertical go up, but there's also a cost that went on that body. And, and, if, and as, again, football is a good example. Like, man, you're getting beat up. Like you even said, there's like a time limit on that. It's like you're starting as soon as you can because there's only so long your body can handle that. It's like, okay, well, let me make sure when I'm training I'm not – building into that decrease anymore right like i need you to be performance ready but at the same time i need to make sure you have longevity and a lot of that comes in like if i can pick two exercises or the same exercise for the same being but i can i can manipulate in a way where one time i'm getting an exercise that's going to yield 100 percent results right and that sounds great let's say front squat. everyone loves it i love it probably when i fit fa- my favorite lift i think it should be an incredible um high number on your front squat there's a there's a skill to a deep squat like go look at any child any baby they just hang out in a deep squat all right as we get older the stronger we can be there the better we're going to be everywhere else above that because that that's the deepest part right so anything above that is not easy but if i if i train that i get 100 you know gains from it but it took 80 percent effort but the other thing i could pick is maybe like um you know a single leg elevated Like pistol squat type thing that just really VMO like cyclist style squat. So now I'm using body weight, but all right, I can get 50% increase on it, but only cost 10% of my body. Right? I'm yielding more. I'm yielding 40% over 20. Like I'm gonna pick that one because that one over the course of 10 years is gonna get me so much farther, and I'm gonna be constantly getting better without all this damage and stress on my body. So I think that's where like strength conditioning could could use a, a nice little flip flop. Like, their, their thought process is great, and, and, and I was there two years ago, and I've, it take it's taken my own injuries to realize there's a smarter way to do this. Like, I'm dealing with, like, three hernias, basically, in the past year and a half. I, I don't know if I told you. I have an umbilical one now too, and now I'm just, like, chilling. I'm just waiting to explode and have that one taken care of also. But I'm not able to train in a sense of, like, I can't weight lift anymore. I can't heavy lift anymore. Like, it's basically saying anything that I have outside of, I'm going to increase my chances of getting the hernia right or increasing it so my methods of training i have had to be smarter now i'm training like the little parts of my foot more my ankle and, and opening up ranges of motion and and trying to increase like strength at my end ranges and now my vertical is higher than it's ever been before so there's something to that right like i'm not the strongest i've ever been but i'm also the most explosive i've ever been so there's more to strength or more to, to athleticism and power and all that than strength and i think a lot of people just chase strength they just chase the big number you know
2: I think there's a, there's an issue, especially with uh, big time strength and conditioning, where you, you see uh, there's problems of uh, really uh, quantifying uh, sport performance and attributes, especially in team sports, where, you know, they're not stopwatch sports. There's not like, you know, a thrower could go out and say, I threw, uh, you know, 64 and last, last month I threw sixty three, so I got better, you know, or you know, uh, uh, time trials improving or something. But you got a guy that's a field sport athlete uh, where it's a tactical sport with a physical component, um, and and it's hard to really uh, quantify the improvements in their performance. Mm. So you see a lot of the old school coaches kind of default to these surrogate endpoints, um, you know, like the back spot or the bench press or the forty. And, and they've got these old-school metrics that they they kind of go in under the, the like, uh, kind of vulgar assumption that that these things are a one-to-one direct transfer. And like you said, like, you haven't lifted months, and your, uh, you know, your vertical's gone up. Or, like, I was talking to Ryan the other week, um, you know, uh, if, if you were to, to look at the, Ryan and I both do CrossFit and high-intensity competitive exercise, and uh, I, I went – like uh, I went like three months without squatting anything heavy because I just didn't care about it when this whole quarantine thing started, and uh, I hit my PR snatch for like some stupid complex just out of nowhere on like a Wednesday, and uh, and it's like well you know how did how did that happen because I'm not stronger I haven't lifted a heavy heavy back squat in like you know 115 days, yeah. and, uh, and it's because we you know we're we're bad especially those of us who came up you know obsessed with the weight room. And, and sports were like kind of grew out of training versus training growing out of sports. Uh, and I think that paradigm for a lot of strength coaches is, is kind of a problem because their their first obsession was not the sport. It was probably training for the sport. Mm-hmm. And, and the sport came along as like a, something to give the training purpose um, and, and to guide those decisions versus the sport being the, the main idea and the training being supplementary to to, to the sport. Uh, and so, you know, people get caught up on, the like I said, surrogate endpoints. And, uh, and you know, we do it in, in my my quote-unquote real job. Uh, we have all these metrics we look at. I work in the business field. I'm a business analyst. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to look at our metrics and say, you know, this tells us something. But it, does it tell us what we think it tells us, or does it tell us something else? Because, you know, you're only as good as your dad and your data is only as good as its relevance to what you're trying to discern from it. Yeah. So you know I, I think that's that's the, the main contradiction that people in the field maybe I mean, you see a lot of guys now starting to talk about this, especially uh, guys who've come up with right like Botterchoke and, and really grok to that sort of sort of uh, paradigm where the, the sport is is only sort of tangential to what we do in training and uh and effectiveness of the training is only as good as it transfers to the sport you know
1: yeah i mean it, it comes down to t- the the sport again like you even said like if i'm training a weightlifter, clearly like i'm gonna train the big lifts like i'm gonna, there's a different needs for that but it's like if i'm training a you know a 15 year old soccer player um uh, and she's a female and she's you know super deficient in her hamstrings quads like whatever it may be it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna need to train her as an athlete for her demands like her, her hips need to be insanely strong. Her, her hamstrings need to be insanely strong. Her, honestly, everything needs to be insanely strong in their lower half or body just because of the demands of that sport. Like, a lot of the female young female athletes I'm working with have either had one, two, or even up to three ACLs already before they're even graduated high school. And to me, that's just – that's not acceptable. That's, uh, and, on, and they were all non-contact injuries, right? So that, on top of it, is just like there's no reason you should be planting your foot and, and tearing an ACL. Your body is so much stronger than that. And for you to be that weak, it's like, that's just like a disgrace
2: to the body. Well, and you wonder how much of that is, uh, again, people mistake uh, strength in a specific context, like, you know, a one rep or a five rep or a 10 rep max back squat. They say, well, their legs are strong. Mm -hmm. Or even if you take it to like a uh, a five rep max uh, uh, reverse lunge, you know, something that's maybe a little more sports specific, you know, and uh, or, or resembles the, the sporting act a little more. Uh, but does that really directly correlate one to one with uh, resilience and injury prevention? And, and so I, I think that you know, there, there's a tendency to want to drive towards numbers yeah. uh, that, that are easy to evaluate, um, you know, and so like you can take an athlete and walk into the gym today and find out their five rep max on some lift uh you know whether that's a, a bilateral classic movement or uh, some more uh you know esoteric joint angle uh movement and uh and, and that's that's an easy thing to evaluate it's cheap uh but really it's not telling us what we want to know what we want to know is whether the program is effective is you have to you know do a you know historical trend of the injury and uh and so you can't do forward-looking projections on how effective your program is being, and I, I think that that's something that coaches struggle with because they don't want to look at like they want to know if their if their team is going to be good next season. They don't want to look back and say, "Oh yeah, what we did worked." They want to say, "What we're doing is working." Yeah. So you know they, they probably uh, probably don't favor that. I think a
1: lot of it comes back to, for these youth athletes, at least. And I know I don't want to get into this too much because this might have to be a second time. Uh, when we get into Part them. two. Yeah. But <laughs> when it comes like the youth and stuff, I think, I think, and I'm probably going to, if this ever gets out, someone's going to get some mad at this, but a lot of the problems of coaches, um, they over, over, over coach, not coach, like just queuing. They just work them. They work them too much. I mean, they're in season, soccer players are in season pretty much 10, at least 10 out of 12 months out of the year. And this is like from middle school or maybe even younger on, like they're just playing all year round. They never break. Sometimes they have seasons overlapping. Baseball is notorious for that too, having seasons overlapping, just constantly playing. And, and so it's like them or like in games, like hearing of coaches playing people just like deep into the game when they're constantly winning and they already have like, you know, you know, maybe scholarship offers and just like, man, what do you? do you have this kid's best interest at heart or not? Or like, Hey, I th- we need you to play this state championship game, but you're only, you're only four and a half months out of ACL. And it's like, and then all of a sudden you're hearing of them tearing it again or tearing the other one. And it's like, was that really that girl's fault? Or was she trusting somebody to advise her and help her? And Hey, like, or they're going to a trainer and they're thinking that trainer's helping them, but he's just having you jump on a vertamax the whole session. And that five months out, you're already you know playing again. It's like, I'm not saying you can't be ready in five months, right? I'm working with a, a girl that's about to head out to Ole Miss right now with her third ACL, and she's eight weeks out. The thing she can do already is insane. But I also had the pleasure of training with her for five months, four or five months before her ACL surgery. She put on 15 pounds during that process, got to the point where the doctors didn't even think she needed ACL surgery. Her knee felt so strong. They didn't believe she had an ACL tear until they got the MRI. And it's just that if we can just, like, again – Prepare the body for what it needs to do, and and like we worked on ranges of motion, taught the knee how to move, got rotation back at the knee joint. Just let her like learn her body before the surgery. That at like six weeks out, they were t- they were cutting her down to one day of PT already. They didn't really have much to do for her. Like I do think the body is capable of recovering very fast, but that's that's like far and in between, and and then you have to be doing everything right to be getting there. This girl trains harder than I mean her ma- mindset. She's gonna do insane things at Ole Miss. but it takes. Again, it takes a lot of work, and I think a lot of times people go to a trainer or go somewhere or go to a, even a, pers- a a physical therapist. Sometimes I, I think their methods are very safe, and they're afraid to, like, actually attack the problem and, and, and push for growth. I think sometimes when we were seeing there could be a six-month recovery on something, it really should be four months if we would attack the problem a little bit sooner. Um but yeah, so I think, again, youth are just sometimes getting thrown into the fire, and they just, they're just they trusting a coach, they're trusting a, a trainer, they're trusting a PT, whatever it may be. Um, and we just need to have better people out there that are actually truly helping the youth, because there's no reason a 17-year-old should have three ACL tears already. I mean, I don't think any human should ever have that, but let alone a 17-year-old girl. It's crazy. Just
0: as- there's actually good data out of the USOC that, that tracked trends in training time versus injury rate. And as and kind of exactly what you're talking about. Training time goes up year-round. Amount of the macro cycle spent training for the sport has gone up. Rate of injury has, has also gone up. And that's not what we should see. If you're training more, you should be getting better and getting injured less. But we're not correcting that trajectory. You've still got youth athletes that are playing on you know their high school team their travel team their aau team they've got these four teams that they're playing on and you look at their their schedule and it's like all right well you've got you know 30 hours of practice and game every week how are you even how are you surviving how are you recovering how and we're losing so many great athletes to this.
1: Oh, agreed. I, I mean, we This area, believe it or not, Melbourne produces insane amount of athletes, like high-level athletes. We have multiple first-round baseball draft picks coming out of here on a regular basis. Um, just D1 athletes popping out of the yinging over here. There's just so many good athletes. But it's like, what if a third of them keep getting hurt too soon or something like that? It's like, we might have the next Michael Jordan in this county. It's like, we just got to make sure this kid doesn't get hurt. Like, I, we have, supposedly, I've heard of, you know, Basketball players in this area being females being recruited by UConn and South Carolina right now. We're talking like the best teams in the nation. People are being recruited and she's in ninth grade. Right. So it's like there's young athletes to have. They're basically saying, hey, like, just don't mess up in the next three years and you have this. This is yours. Right. And a lot of them are going to mess up in the next three, four years like that's that that basketball team i mean basketball teams in general female athletes i think basketball and soccer for females are like two, the two highest things i'm seeing of acl tears and, and again it's all like non-contact injuries so we just have to attack the body in like a specific way that those injuries are now reduced i'm not saying freak accidents don't happen things happen still like but our goal is like you said is if we can be smarter with our training and there's evidence that shows this we need to listen to that evidence and we need to do something about it. Right. If we're not changing it, if we're not like affecting them, what is that like quote about insanity when you do the same thing and expect different results? That, that's what's happening. We're getting all these results and people are just doing the same thing anyways. And they're not changing anything. And until people are gonna do something about it, maybe risk their career or risk at their job spot to actually help an athlete, then things won't change. And and me as like a small private sector guy, like I'm not gonna make an impact until things start rolling, or maybe somehow I get out there, whatever it may be, but my role right now is I'm not going to make that impact, but what, what has to happen is the pro level has to change, the division one level has to change, that's the one that they're, they have the high social media following, everyone's following them, whatever they do, like, you know, some of these big school weightlifting um, coaches that have, like, you you probably seen them, they have, like, followings on Instagram, like, they're, like, insta-famous as well as coaches, it's, like, they're not, I don't know, it's not about that, man, it's not about, like, having fun games and and just, like, Let's see how many biceps and triceps we could do every week. Like,
0: uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> hating on Tom's boy, coming after Tom's boy.
1: I, do I, do, I just can't. To me, it's like it's got to be that though. It's become a show. And it's like strength and conditioning isn't a show. It's like you got this fancy weight, you've got all six stuff. It's like, dude, like you have the opportunity to make insane athletes. You're giving, you're being given the best, like physically genetic athletes you probably could ever have. It's like create a monster for four years. Now, granted, what people do in, high school on kind of screws a lot of that up. Cause that would be the biggest thing that I saw going in the collegiate setting is how, at, how bad athletes come in. It's like, it is very hard for a D one strength coach to develop an athlete when they're fixing things for four years. It's like, you might want to train this guy, but it's like, you can't train the guy you want the way you want to train him because of what he's, he has off right now. So if he would have done maybe just light workouts, whatever, I don't even care what it was. He could have stretched for the last four years in high school. Like just give, a coach an opportunity to make you good and so i think a lot of it comes back to just not having the right people to train youth athletes when the youth development changes that's when we're going to start seeing a freak increase in some insane athletes where numbers we even didn't know were unheard, were unheard of of touching or people they're just doing on the regular but it's going to start from a youth age
0: yeah so for context nick also he went from UCF. you went directly from ucf to clemson right No, I
1: did, like, a year and a half at the private sector. Like, basically, I worked for a guy. Um, But, like, I didn't like that at all. Like, I was not – we didn't work class right. Like, obviously, I'm, like, working for a guy. So, it's, like, I think a certain way. And at this time, like, if I would have thought the way I think now, like, this guy and I would have – we probably would have – I would have worked there, like, maybe a month before I even could have made it. Because we just wouldn't have seen eye to eye on, like, anything training-wise. And it's just, like, it's hard for me to train people when I don't believe in what I'm doing. Like, I'm even if I have to do somebody else's program. It's like, I want to train somebody. So I've had issues with clients, you know, sometimes coming in with a pre-existing notice of, like, this is what I've done. You know, I used to squat five and I used to do this. And I threw 95 when I, you know, whatever it may be. Well, it's like, okay, you can do that. I'm not stopping you. But if you're going to train here, this is how we're going to train. And, like, if you're not okay with that, then that's fine. But, like, you just have to go train somewhere else. Because don't expect me to, like, just back squat you heavy because you want to. Like, I'm going to give you what I truly believe is the best option to get you better and get you back to throwing that way, but not get you there, but keep you there. Like, it's not about just getting back to throwing 95. It's like, can you keep, can you sustain throwing 95? Because if you do that, then you're making that fat co- contract. But if you get hurt every six months, and you're not, it doesn't matter about getting there. It's like, can you stay doing that? Can you perform at that level for the next 10 years? I think, I don't know. And people that, Again, it's the, the world's that, view of I want it right now.
0: You know. That is just, that is, that's is—that's the most frustrating conversation to have with people, and, and working in and top-level athletics, I'm sure that you've had it with people all the time. It's like, well, I've always done this, and it's led me to this, and you just want to, like, fucking grab them and shake them and be like, you have succeeded in spite of yourself, you moron. I'm going to make you better.
1: Yeah, literally. That's like, you've made it there. Like, thankfully, you've made it. I don't know how your body isn't blown up yet. Seriously. Like, all right, so let me make sure you stay here, okay? Because you are I've had a guy come in, and I'm literally looking at him. I'm assessing him, and I'm like, man, like, I'm going to be honest. This is not okay. <laughs> Straight up in session one. I'm like, this is not good. But I was like, this is the exciting thing. You're an insane athlete already. By the standards of your sport, you're a freak. And this is what your body gives me to work with? I was like, be excited, man, because you're going to get really scary. Like, really scary if you just – if this is already what we're at. Like, this is going to get, this is going to get fun. I was like, just trust it. Like, we're going to have to redevelop your whole body because right now it's not helping you. Like, I want your body to do the work for you. And the more I'm learning about pitching, I was never a baseball player, but it's funny that baseball is the sport I probably work with the most now. And the more I'm learning with pitching, pitching is more about like, again, transferring force and letting your body just kind of do the work for you. You're trying to set yourself up in positions to where like, you don't actually have to throw a ball. You're just letting the body kind of throw the ball for you. You just have to put yourself in these specific positions at such a quick amount of time and, and these hard angles. And I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you're, you're calm doing it, but like a lot of people are aggressively throwing a ball. Like you ever try to like throw a ball harder and it's like worse that that's, that's what pitching is. Like, you're not trying to throw the ball hard. You're trying to like set yourself up to throw the ball hard. Um, but it, it comes back to just learning the body and the better we can like learn the body the better we can master a skill whatever that skill it could be juggling i don't care what it is you having a better you know supination of your wrist and you can you know save and catch one ball that you might have failed like it could be something as stupid as that but it matters like those little details do matter especially at a high level
0: Thank when you. i coach weightlifters i try and tell them the same thing on the snatch it's like People think, all right, if I'm just more aggressive with the snatch, if I just rip it off the ground harder, it will get overhead easier. And it's like, no, like 95% of the snatch is just like, I need your body to be in the right position at the right time. And then for that last 5%, we apply a lot of force. And then everything just lands exactly where it needs to be. And it's the same thing with like a golf swing, like a golf swing as well. The harder you try to swing at that. And that was always my problem with golf. It was like, I would get in my backswing and I'd be like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I'm going to (laughs) destroy this thing. I'm going to beat the brakes off this ball. And it would either one miss two divot or just go in a direction that I was not pleased with.
2: I I had a, uh, track coach that I volunteered at a local high school with a couple years ago. Um, and we worked with, you know, his athletes, uh, I just helped with basically running practice and, and did it for the purpose of learning from him. He's got, you know, 35 years of experience coaching a bunch of D1 athletes Olympians. Yeah. and Olympians. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the big things he drilled these kids on, you know, from, from the very start was that, you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And if you skip slow or smooth, your fast is not going to be very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is fast, it's going to be fast in the wrong direction. And, uh, and that—that's really, you know, I think that applies. Is the more you, you bear down on the bat or the club or the barbell or whatever else versus uh, directing your energy appropriately. Agreed. Yeah. The yeah. quicker You know, I had a uh, back to your point about uh, refining and and the the small improvements. Uh, I have a, a metaphor, I guess, that, that I heard years back. And, and I think, you know, the more I learn and the more I see and the more I continue to grow as a coach, the, the more sense it makes is that, you know, the the body and athletic development is a series of buckets and each physical capacity is a bucket. And once it's full, it's full. And, uh, and, and the amount that each uh, capacity is required for each sport is, uh, you know, it varies by sport. You know, a football player may need more absolute strength or muscle mass than a soccer player or a tennis player. Uh, but once you fill it up, you're you're there. You know, you really get a whole bunch of extra benefit. Uh, and I think that as you continue to fill those buckets, you know, you talk about the the early development, the gross motor learning, and the the things that you want to acquire uh, while the the nervous system is still really plastic and can be trained at a high level. Um, you know, as you get through adolescence and the anaerobic system starts to develop and be trainable, um, you know, th- there's there's various points at which different levels of training are appropriate for an athlete, both in terms of their training age and where they are in their sporting career, and also their absolute age based on their their physiology. Right. Right. And by the time that a lot of these athletes get to the college or the professional level, they're either you know the things that they can really do for their nervous system, the amount of improvement they can get is really limited. The amount of improvement on their VO2 max, you know, it, it largely is going to be what it's going to be if they haven't developed it and, and built the floor, their individual capacity, it's not going to improve by 20%. You know, you're going to get a 5% improvement, maybe tops over the course of the rest of the career. Yeah. But the things that, that when they get to that level matter are the small details, because you've already got... Ninety-five percent of your athlete by the time they're twenty years old.
1: Agreed. They're ninety-five percent
2: of the athlete that they're
1: you're doing two. the wrong thing at that point. They're you're, like you said with the bucket. They're like they filled up the strength bucket. That kid's already kind of filled up that bucket pretty full. It's like, all right, stop hammering that bucket and start filling into the bucket of like you know flexibility, mobility, because now he can let's he's got he's got a hundred percent of strength and fifty percent of the range. Let's give you the other fifty and start training that now. And, or you
2: know, or, and then, you know or, or you know, like training becomes. Uh, you know, I think it's cliche at this point, but training becomes really a, the uh, maintaining all of those prior capacities, you know, within a certain threshold, and really just making sure that they they're inoculated to the stress that they're going to see during their techno-tactical training. Correct. Training because you know what they are in the weight room or on the Vertimax or on the track is only a portion of what they're going to be on the field. Right. And when you get them on the field, uh, you know. There, there's all of these sport-specific items. You know, linebacker is not just his bench press or his 40 or his shuttle. You know, it's his ability to re-diagnose tackle and, and bring the opposition to the ground. And those things are things that they have to be physically prepared for Yeah. to improve.
1: Yeah, like even thinking like for a linebacker, man, it's like they're so constant about, you know, bench press and this. And that's like, man, like I want your grip strength to be insane. I was like, you're literally fighting off 300-pound men just – jamming them and grabbing them and trying to redirect them again if you you can be so strong in your pull and your core and all this stuff but if your hand is weak that that big rip is lost and you're not transferring that force anymore so it's like i don't care how good your bench press is like again it needs to be good but like if that force that you have and you obtain now can't be transferred into whatever object it is that you're moving or using or attacking then then you're weak your yeah. standards of what truly like again on the field that's where it will show you'll be like well that guy man you know he's got all the tangibles but he just he doesn't play like so and so it's like maybe it's because so and so actually has like strong wrists and he's actually transferring the force and he may not be as strong or look as physically demanding but he plays the game better and that's yeah. like, sometimes you just can't be like well I don't know why it's like, that's probably what's happening it's those little details that like no one even understands what, why it's making
2: a difference but it is or you've got you know you've got weight room Tarzan who plays like Jade. And it's because you know he's 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 95% of his his max gross physical potential in terms of his outputs, uh, but it's not transferring to the field. It's because he's not uh, not prepared to, you know, he, he's got the strength, but he maybe doesn't have the durability to go go through 35, 40 reps every day at practice and and play 60, 70 plays on game day, yeah. and, and and be able to do so within the uh, the thresholds of, of his uh, his max, you know, his performance zone. You know, he's he's getting out of the uh, you know, in practice, he's getting out of the, the green zone where he's he's stressed but still at the point where he can react and, and learn and grow and he's he's just hanging on in practice, you know, because he's not prepared yeah. for the
0: repeated efforts or whatever he needs. I think I think in addition to your bucket analogy is that these aren't really they're kind of like magical buckets. They're strange buckets that because as you get closer to filling the bucket, it requires more water to fill that bucket that much more. Going from 80 to 90% full requires significantly more water to fill that and you could have taken the same amount of water and dumped some of that into flexibility. You could have dumped that into, you know, grip strength. You could have dumped that into, uh, you know, Isometric strength, that end range of motion. And you could have taken that 50, 60% improvement that you made there, but you put it all into, well, I got his back squat from 535 to 550. He still can't touch his toes. He literally can't even shake my hand, his grip is so weak, but at least he can squat an extra 10, 15 pounds.
1: At least I can post that on Instagram and show the world. Exactly.
0: So Nick, I wanna give you a chance to outro for the people here. Uh, We talked a lot about kind of chasing endpoints in strength conditioning and how a lot of strength coaches are pursuing the wrong endpoints. You as a strength coach and the success that you've had now transitioning into private practice, working with so many top level athletes, what are the endpoints that you think that people should be chasing as strength coaches?
1: So it, it sounds so simple. It's like stretching and, and working on range of motion. It needs to be like one of the number one factors. Cause if you don't have a range of motion to train, then, then you're telling me you're just coming in to give me a hundred percent every day, but you can only honestly give me 70. It's like, I want your body to have no limits. I don't want you to be like, well, my ankle can't move here. I want like, i shouldn't have to put you on a slant board to squat you at full depth i shouldn't have to, like the body is capable of moving in a very specific way and so my ultimate focus is getting the body back to that like i want us to be gigantic babies like for young children we need to be just giant versions of children i don't care if we're 225 pound solid muscle you should be able to sit down and play in a deep squat and drop into a full split and a straddle like have these like insane ranges of motion and be strong in them like That's, again, the scary part. It's like, imagine like a swole baby. That'd be scary because of how good they are. That's what
0: Thomas calls me every week. I fill out my training for the week, and he's like, you did great, swole baby.
1: Yeah, but like, I'm I'm trying to be like (laughs) a a giant version. (laughs) Um, So like attacking those ranges is like one of my main goals at first. But it's like, again, it's one of those things that you're going to fight for a long time. That's not a quick fix. That's not something that you're going to get. Okay, we can train for six weeks and get that, and now we can go train. It's not that. It's a continual battle the whole time. So, like, with everything I do, whether it's an exercise or not, like, my focus is, like, man, how can this exercise help your range of motion? Like, I train in RDLs, like, thinking I'm, I'm getting you deeper into, into your hamstrings now. Like, I want you to pull yourself deeper with your hip flexors to allow your hamstring to get a greater stretch because you're actively pulling the hip flexion. It's, like, the way I'm, like, th- having people think about an exercise will change the emphasis I'm getting on it. It's like, okay, I could train the RDL for just maximal strength and hit in the hinge, but it's like I want to almost like treat it as like I'm using that extra 135 pounds to help pull deeper into the stretch to teach my body I can go further as long as I'm controlling that weight and I'm actively taking myself to these ranges. Um, So again, like my ultimate focus for like for me is like I just want to make the move better. And I think if coaches could get back to the focus of let's move well first, the training is the easy part after that like that training is now fun because you don't have limits when you just like feel good all the time sessions are better and everything is better like training shouldn't be hard i think we should be able to roll out of bed and run a marathon like our body is capable of being that like fine-tuned and that like sharp we just need to do our best to get back to that whatever that means however you think that should be like there's probably thousands of routes to get to that it's like if you're at least if your thought process is, i'm trying to make you move better and i'm going to make sure you don't. You're not in pain anymore. Then I think you're
0: doing your athlete. Yeah. I can get down with that. I can get down with that, Thomas. Anything to add?
2: Uh, yeah, just sort of uh, to tack on with that. The uh, I guess the idea that we uh, you know we fail at the margins of our experience, right? Um, and so generally, uh, with physical preparation, it's you know we get caught up in max numbers. And, and when we talk about what really transfers to the field, an isolated back's number doesn't, you know, uh, what, what transfers is that, like I used the phrase greed zone earlier. So, you know, if what you need to do with the field falls within this greed zone of your ability, um, you're going to uh, put less systemic stress in the body and be able to redirect right. that focus and that effort into the techno-tactical portions. It's like um, an
1: efficiency thing? Sorry like an efficiency thing. Like.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, like with your RDL, say say you're, you're, I don't know, you're a prop in rugby and, and you have to be at a certain hip angle. And y- if you can get into that angle, but it's like the, the terminal range of motion for you, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, terminal flexion to get there, you know, you're weaker there versus yeah. if, if that's in your green zone. Correct. And, uh, you're, you're strong there because it's, you know, it's still well before the margins of of your ability uh you're more resilient there you're able to uh work there without it taking up uh you know an enormous amount of your physiological and and psychological bandwidth to operate there um you know it's like for somebody for somebody who like a weightlifter uh you know i could get down into an ass to grass overhead squat uh, but I'm not super mobile, so it sucks, and it takes some work. But whereas, like, some of uh, some of Ryan's uh, girls that he trains, you know, they just pop right down there. And uh, it's such – they've got so much extra access. Yeah. It's it's easier for them to do. It just takes as long. They're able to be faster and smoother through it. I mean, so, I mean,
1: Ryan could agree. Like, when you get you doing all your CrossFit and you're doing those handstand things, right, like, how how much work was it for you to stay in that wall handstand hold versus, like – you know, the girls, right, they're probably just hanging out there talking, like, they're just plopped up there. Like, I started throwing those in my program recently. And because I realized how bad I was when I was doing with someone else who was just chilling and hanging out. And I'm like, I should be better than you right now. And I'm not. And I'm like, really struggling. And I was, I'm like, still sore from them, to be honest. And it's like, how can you be in that good shape, or like, whatever we call being in shape, and I can do a skill, and I'm just absolutely murdered by it. So it's like, that's where we're just constantly like, we're not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. But like, I love that idea that like green zones, like that's my training to a whole, like to a T train, get a bigger green room and find a way to be really strong in that green room. And that is like what you should do for everything. That's just mean, that's how you should attack all training.
0: With, yeah, like, I, I don't really want to talk about the handstands, man. You know, when I can, yeah. when I can jerk and hold overhead three hundred and fifty pounds, and uh, old Lexi can do it with one fifteen, and she can handstand walk a football field, and I can't even hold myself up. Yeah, it's just a, it's a little bit of a sore topic. So, I'm yeah. frustrated that you brought that up. Really, <laughs> kind of good I'm case hurt. study. You enough, said you wouldn't.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think that's like, that's like literally what the problem is. Like, man, that that just makes me mad when I see that. I'm like, you know what? I should be able to do that, and because I can't. I need to figure out how, and that's how I attack training for like the rest of my life. I'm gonna be like, well, that was really hard. I need to not make that so hard. So how do I do that? All right, I'm gonna give my body an opportunity to figure it out. Like, I think that's the biggest flaw: people just changing things all the time. It's like, if you if you put your body in a, a weird stimulus, but you're not hurting yourself, but you're like challenging yourself, like your body every day is solving the problem for you. At some point, you're just gonna like plop in the overhead squat and be like, wow, that's like not bad anymore. It's like you've you've learned the skill now. You've learned how to be in that squat now. And that's when it becomes easy. And that's when it becomes fun. And that's when training
0: gets scary, you know. Super easy example. How do you master the front rack position for a front squat? You get in it. You just get in it and then you just stay there for a while. And the first couple times, you're trash at it. And then every sequential time after that, you're just a little bit better.
1: And then, you know? Why do we treat anything else, uh, anything else different? It's like you can't get in a deep squat. Well, I'm going to put you in against the wall. I mean, you should see how I'm sitting right now. I don't sit like in chairs often. Like I'm sitting on the ground. <laughs> I, I'm more comfortable sitting in, an, in a deeper squat. And it's like because I stay here all the time, I don't want to be in a, in a different position. Like this is actually more comfortable for me. And I feel like, again, we, I want to get to a point where I don't even need the yoga blocks. Like I want to be able to just be sitting and, but that's like, I could do that for like five minutes and, I'm like, and my legs are going numb. So it's like, I still have improvements. It's like my cousin sits, or my nephew sits there all day playing games, bouncing around. It's like, I should be able to do that too. And I'm going to I'm gonna get to the point where I can. All
0: right, guys, you heard it here first. Part two of this podcast oh. will be all of us <laughs> sitting in the Saigon Squat. This one was an hour. So next one will probably run an hour or two. Thomas, get the Bengay. Right. Gay. It's going to be a rough day. You're
2: only going to have me for about 90 seconds. All right, guys.
0: But as always, uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Nick, tell the people where they can find you on Instagram, both your gym and your personal page, if they want to reach out.
1: Yeah, the personal page is nomble28, and then that's for Instagram. The gym page is XVXIII, three I's, all right, performance for 1513 all right so look me up on both give it a follow and then dm if you have any questions for real
0: yeah give the man a follow reach out he's always receptive on the questions and a wealth of knowledge from all of his experience thomas can be found at poly underscore rocket he likes foot pictures and, you know, actually, I won't, I'll, we'll just leave it wide open. Just send him whatever you want as long as – actually, he is Tomas underscore Neil on Instagram. I am the underscore squad father, sure. often imitated, never duplicated, and at Gifted Performance on Instagram. We will see you on the next one. Like, comment, subscribe. The algorithm can only hold us down for so long. Fuck you, YouTube overlords. We're probably going to get banned for that. But on that note, stay gifted. We're out. Peace.